Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This League Uncut. In the world of 24-hour NBA news, this news you lose. Chris Haynes, it's go time! Mark Stein, it's showtime! Boom shakalaka! This league and cut is underway and on fire! This should be a good one. Hey everyone, great to have you with us for another edition of This League Uncut. A good one, we hope so. Because it's a big week, a huge week. A crazy time in the NBA that is already off to a wild and chaotic start. It's draft week. Monday night as we record this Tuesday morning release for this edition of This League Uncut. And we've already had a blockbuster trade. Sunday, the Suns and the Wizards come to terms on a Bradley Beal deal. Bradley Beal going to the Suns for nothing more then Chris Paul's expiring contract, Landry Shamit, a slew of second round picks, maybe another small contract or two thrown into the deal. But this thing happened quick. It kind of came out. It was the weekend when we basically heard that the Wizards had zeroed in on either Miami or Phoenix And it certainly does appear that Miami was not ready to move as quickly as the Wizards would have liked, whereas the Suns were highly motivated to move quickly because Chris Paul's contract, the centerpiece of this deal, of course, has the guarantee date on June 28th. The Suns had told Chris Paul, as our own Chris Haynes reported, as our own Chris Haynes first reported, the Suns, was it? two weeks ago, had informed Paul, left Paul and his representatives with the clear impression that they were going to waive him if they couldn't trade him, but they did find a trade. I mean, this is, you know, for the Wizards, it's really the only deal they could make. It's the only way to start their rebuild. That no trade clause that they needlessly and inexplicably gave Bradley Beal a year ago It gave Bradley Beal and Mark Bartlestein all the control. They were basically able to pick their destination, but for the Wizards to start over 
getting off Beal's long-term money. They basically had to take whatever trade they could to make it happen. So they've taken a deal that doesn't look great. I mean, I don't, I frankly don't love it for either team, but you tell me, Chris Haynes, you've been covering this one as closely as anyone. What was, what was your first reaction when you heard that Phoenix was the destination for Bradley Beal? I thought Miami would be in the driver's seat because I felt even if Brad wanted to go to Phoenix first and foremost, I felt like, uh, well, I thought the Wizards would put up a fight because you can get they can get more from Miami opposed to Phoenix. So I thought it was going to be a little bit more fighting in that regard from Bill's camp and the Wizards. But there was not, which shows, which tells you that the Wizards were prepared with this new regime with Winger as the head of basketball operations over there. They were prepared to go into a rebuild at any cost. You know, they, they looked at it and, again, you know, they didn't get much, but they got off of the salary, they got off of that contract, and now they can kind of start going into the direction of doing a reset with new management. And for Phoenix, they're going all in. I mean, Stein, they're not going to have a pick at all, like, for a while. Like, they're going to – they're still trying – right now they're still trying to figure out how many second round picks are going to be included in this deal? They they don't have a first round pick, so they're going to be at, without a pick for a while, which means they put all of their chips in. They are all in. They are sold on this. It has to work. It has to work. So Frank Vogel he has work cut out on. I don't think it's going to take much to build around that that team. I think players are going to come and play for the minimum or some guys will take less money for a year. They better hope yeah, I, so. I think I think it will. You know, Phoenix is not a bad place to stay. Not not definitely not a bad place to stay. So, I, I think they'll accomplish accomplish that, but will the pieces fit? That's the big question. Will the pieces fit? Who's going to be the primary ball handler on this team? Do they feel they have it already, or do they have to go out there and find one? So they, there's a lot of holes, but they they definitely got the biggest three, the biggest three that this league has currently right now. So those were my initial thoughts when the trade went down. Yeah, and look, we've talked already for weeks about what the new CBA is going to do. There are some there are a few of the tough restrictions come in in year one. And then after this coming season is really when teams that are in second apron territory, just lose all flexibility to, I mean, that you just lose any number of roster building measures. And that's the problem. It's not just that the Suns are going to be lacking depth after making this trade. I mean, it's rebounding, it's defense it's coping with Jokic and Anthony Davis, which you have to do if you want to get out of the West. Like the tools to change their team. Like basically the decision the Suns made was, okay, we're, we've got a crazy high payroll as it is. We went all in on Kevin Durant. Then the rules changed. So we're going to go even farther all in while we still can. And just the, the problem with that strategy is if it doesn't work, 
if this thing gets off to a rocky start after year one, or even especially if it goes two years, it's going to be so hard for them to make changes. So that's why around the league, so many people are expecting that DeAndre Ayton has to get moved, if not immediately between now and the February trade deadline, because if the Suns keep him, it's going to be much harder to trade him and get back pieces that work, just to be able to, to, to pull off a trade because of all the restrictions forthcoming. So, you know, what can they get for Aiton? I mean, I just have, I don't know. I guess to me, I'm less worried. Like I kind of feel like between, between Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, they'll figure out the ball handling, but everything else, man, again, you know, wings, defense, rebounding. I mean, there's so many holes they still have to fill as good you know, even if you think that the these three stars are going to just snap together fantastically. Yeah, Phoenix initially tried to include Aiton in the deal. Um, it was going to be Aiton, Aiton and, and Blee Shamit. The Wizards didn't want that. The Wizards wanted Chris Paul's expiring contract in that deal. So, I mean, I, I honestly think, you know, that's probably a little bit more flexibility for, for – um, for the Phoenix Suns, because I think there's a there is a good chance that Aiden could be moved, could be moved before the season starts. So that's definitely an option out there, where the Suns probably feel like they can get a couple of pieces, a couple of quality pieces, back in return for DeAndre Aiden, which which will help with their depth, and help with the the holes that you said, wing perimeter guys, three D guys, those type of prospects. So again. Kudos to Matt Ishbia, James Jones. They went all in. They went all in. And, you know, we'll see how it fares from here. But, Stein, in the process of going all in, there's a little bit of controversy on how how, and how they handled going all in and how they handled sending, uh, sending out a player. That player is Chris Paul. What did you think when you saw Chris Paul's, let me see, he went on Good Morning America first. He's doing his tour. The name of his book, 61. So doing his book tour. So he's in New York right now. Good Morning America first. Said he, uh, basically said he was surprised of the news and he found out that he was traded via his son, which I knew about that. Uh, son was at a basketball camp at the time, and that's how he that's how he found out. And then he went out on. Then he did a story with the did an interview with the New York Times. Stein, can you elaborate on on that one, please? Yeah. So the New York Times, my former employers and my former teammate So Pandeb did a great piece touching on not just the book, but how everything went down with Phoenix. And in that interview with Sopan, Chris Paul twice referred to Matt and Isaiah as the son's decision makers. And Isaiah, of course, refers to Isaiah Thomas. You reported at the time, just as Ishbia was going to be formally introduced as the son's new owner about the influential voice that Isaiah Thomas was going to get in the son's revamped organization in the Ishbia era, taking over the franchise from Robert Sarver. And 
Matt Ishbia had a press conference and denied those reports pretty strenuously. And people around the league have continued to whisper since that Isaiah does have a very strong advisory voice at the least with Matt Ishbia. Of course, we saw him sitting next to Ishbia at some playoff games, but Chris Paul really kind of put the spotlight on it with the way he described it to Sopan in this Times piece that, that, you know, he basically made it sound like Isaiah was co-making these decisions alongside Matt Ishbia. So something tells me that we're going to be talking a lot about that as we go forward here with the sun. Chris Paul kind of dropped, kind of dropped the bomb there, right there. <laughs> Unexpected uh, little bomb there, right there. Uh, yeah. What was not expecting that uh, during his book tour was not expecting that at all. What, what I will say uh, about Chris Paul and there's really, I believe he has another day. I believe tomorrow, which would be Tuesday, the day that this pot is dropping, he's doing another round of book tours, a few more rounds of book tours. So I hope, I hope whoever is interviewing him, really, go, go ahead and ask him some questions. Ask him some really good questions. I know it, I know that an interview is about the, about the book, but, you know, this Chris Paul's in the news. You got to do your job, journalists. Journalists, you got to do your job. Ask some questions. Ask some basketball questions. You know, just, there's some answers that need to be be put out there. And I, I think Chris Paul has a lot of those answers. So I please encourage y'all to ask some questions. See what you can get. Uh, but, you know, I, I think right now you, you're looking at what what is the future for Chris Paul. So I reported um, yesterday, or would have been Sunday, that the Los Angeles Clippers are trying to get in position to get a reunion going with Chris Paul. So the Clippers right now uh, are in talks with the Wizards, and we don't know if this is going to be expanded to a three-team trade, or if this is, or if it would be a a, a second trade uh, for that would get Chris Paul out of Washington. Chris Paul would not be a member of the Washington Wizards for long. I uh, just don't know if it's going to be a part of a three-team trade or a separate trade. Or wave, or, or wave. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, 
You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Naturally, it behooves the Clippers to try to swoop in and complete a trade where they acquire Chris Paul without letting him hit the market as an unrestricted free agent. If, again, the initial initial word from the Suns to the Chris Paul camp was, we're going to waive you if we can't trade you. They ended up fighting the trade to where the Suns don't have to make that posi- that decision. But now the Wizards are in the same position. They either have to trade Chris Paul between now and June 28th or guarantee his salary for the rest of the season, knowing Chris Paul wouldn't want to play there or waive him, buy him out, release him, however you want to term it. So can the Clippers come up with a trade to where they acquire Chris Paul? Or are we going to see what just, you know, I would be really interested to see just out of curiosity, like if Chris actually can negotiate his release and becomes a unrestricted free agent, what then happens? You know, is it the Lakers? Does he, are the Clippers still an option in that scenario? Is there some other team that we don't know because Chris Paul is an unrestricted free agent would certainly attract a good amount of interest. If you had to forecast it, if I forced you to register your very educated guess, how do you think it turns out? Can the Clippers pull this off by trade or do you think he ends up hitting the open market and giving the Lakers a chance to sign. Before I answer that, Stein, I I want to say I was very surprised to to learn Golden State had interest in Chris Paul. That's right. I left that. I left them out. You're right. Good. I'm glad you brought that up because that's – that would be (laughs) – that is hard to picture. That is very hard to picture, man. (laughs) Yeah, that was was surprising. I'm like Chris Paul. I was surprised. (laughs) So (laughs) – So – but if 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 I'm forced to pick, I I think the Clippers work out a trade and, and get Chris really? Paul, and I think the trade will probably have to involve Robert Covington's deal in that. Might maybe maybe even Marcus Morris, but I think uh, Robert Covington for sure. And so that's that's the way I that's the way I envision it playing out. And so today I checked to to see. How? What would be the chances if the Clippers can pull this off and they acquire Chris Paul from Washington via trade, either as a separate trade or by becoming the third team in this deal? 
does that leave any room for Russell Westbrook to re-sign with the Clippers? The the word I got from a source close to the process today was possibly. So by no means yes, but it was also not a no. Do you think could the Clippers have a team with both CP and Russ together? I think they could. I wouldn't be too confident in the uh, I wouldn't be too confident in it working out. I I just think if you're going to have one of those guys on the team, you have to allow them to do what they do. I don't know that you can have two two point guards. Point guards of that um point guards that handle the ball a lot, point guards that are used to setting up the table. Chris Paul I think plays better off the ball than Russ. Um, I, I just don't see, I don't see, I don't see them being able to, even at times, I don't see them being able to work well together in the backcourt. So it'll be tough, but I think um, Russ played so well for them. He was a big bright spot for them towards the end when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George went out. You know, he was a great locker room leader. He really became the voice of that team um, the latter stages of that season. And so he, he does have value within that within that ball club on the court and what he provides in the locker room. But I, I don't – I personally – I wouldn't like it, Stan. I, I, I don't know what the Clippers are going to do. I, I really don't know how they feel. I haven't really checked on it myself. You, know, you say possibly, oof. I mean, by them just saying possibly, that, that lets you know they have some, um, some form of reservations about having a two on the team. But – Again, some teams believe in that, you know, you acquire as much depth as possible, work it out later because, you know, guys get injured, things happen throughout the course of the season. So it's better to have talent than not to have talent. So, you know, I guess we'll just have to see. So before we move on to the draft, let's circle back to the Bradley Beal trade, just because there was one angle to this that I think we started going down that road and we got a little bit derailed and and we we should cover this. So as Chris put it, you know, Phoenix has gone all in whatever it had left in terms of trade assets to acquire Bradley Beal. They've surrendered it all now. The Suns basically, they cannot make, they cannot have a more expensive trio than they have now with Durant and Devin Booker and Beal and everything they've given up to get Durant and now Beal in there. Miami did not go all in with its Bradley Beal pitches, even though Miami was thought to be right at the top in terms of Bradley Beal's preferred destinations. And with that no trade clause that he and Mark Bartlestein negotiated a year ago, they had this uncommon control of the trade process. The Washington was basically going to have to accept the destination that Bradley Beal picked because of that no trade clause. The only no trade clause, only full no trade clause active in the league at this point, only the 10th no trade clause that's ever been negotiated in the NBA because they're really hard to get in the NBA. But look, everybody I think by now understands the working assumption here. The belief is that Miami didn't want to go all in for Bradley Beal now because on the you know, basically waiting out the possibility that Damian Lillard, that this would be the offseason that Damian Lillard actually urges 
the Portland Trailblazers to trade him. Because if it gets to that point, Miami would be at or near the top of Dame's list with Brooklyn and potentially some other destinations. But Miami would have an excellent chance in the Dame sweepstakes. They would be one of the betting favorites, no doubt. But I mean, Chris, aren't the Heat taking a huge risk here? Because we still, you know, again, we're recording this on Monday night. This podcast is dropping Tuesday. There is still not a scintilla of evidence or hints to point us in the direction of thinking that Dame is close to pushing his way out. I'll say this. For Miami to take this approach, they must feel like they got some sense, some knowledge that, this could be the offseason that Dame requests out. Like, they believe they feel like this could be the year. And the reason is Dame has made it clear that he wants to compete for a championship. He wants to contend. He wants a roster that can get him there. He wants that now. He does not want to wait. He does not want to go through a rebuild. Doesn't want to continue to play with younger guys to – help them grow and get to that point. He wants to win now. That's why you know I've been saying this for last couple of weeks. What Portland does does with that pick, number 3 pick, Thursday's draft, that's going to be so important. And we'll see if all indications are Portland is going to keep that pick as of right now. All indications are leaning that way. And then Dane will have a decision to make. At that point, does he feel comfortable with, you know, if that, that pick being, say, Scoot Henderson, does he feel comfortable going into another season um, where you got a rookie rookie coming in, a rookie who is ultimately going to be the next franchise point guard for that team over the next, possibly the next decade? How How is he going to feel about that? So these are all questions that we won't have answers to until after the draft or until after the Portland makes makes that pick. Portland also has a 23rd pick as well. They can try to use that 23rd pick and package it with Anthony Simons to try to get some help. But, you know, these are things that we won't know until Thursday or after Thursday. So I think that's why, that's why Miami feels like, you know, if they're going to go all in, they want to go all in on an all-NBA point guard they feel like that's a dire need that's more of a dire need for that team and uh, you know I think that's why we saw them kind of reverse course on Bradley Bill so how meaningful do you think it is that you know Dame has been seen in the Blazers practice facility and it, it looks like he's taking an interest in Portland's draft night machinations I guess that's kind of the curveball here okay I would say that He's there working out himself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's what I would say. He happens to work out. Well, we know we know who the – there's only one Dameologist on this podcast. If 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 we're looking for a Dirkologist, then I think I – you know, then it's my turn to speak. But when it comes to – when it comes to Dameology, we defer to Haynes. So I'm going with what Just you said. Just my read. Just my read. All right. Well, your read is very well. Valuable not, let me say this: my my these. reads often get uh, mistaken for uh, being something that Dame told me. I, I, that happens a lot. 
if I say something, my read, my sense, what I think, a lot of people think Dame is telling me this. This is my read. I'm telling you. You know, sometimes I talk. To, yeah, like recently you were, were you were either on the Dan Patrick I was on show GP. or Colin yes. Coward show, and you were asked you were asked about Boston. You gave your opinion on what you would project Dame to do based on covering his whole career. It's not like he told nah. you, Chris, will nah. you please uh, will you please register yeah. my dismay? Yeah. We, with Portland, we've with had Boston. conversations. Like I know some you know some of the teams that he would be interested in like I've known it's just for for years just being around him so I know how I, I already know how he feels about certain teams or certain cities and so when DP asked me that question I was able to just be like nah it's not happening no not not Boston not that I just spoke with Dame right now and he told me to say that that's just based off of the history and relationship that I have with him I was able to say nah I don't see that I don't see that happening that's it that's it. So this right here is just a read. I know he goes to the PF and goes to go work out. And sometimes his workouts coincide with when um, they're bringing in rookies to work out. So that's it. Okay. All right. Well, look, this is not the last time we will be discussing this subject. By the time we do, when we get together for the next pod, which will almost certainly be after the draft, we'll know what Portland did with that number three pick, were they able to find a win now trade in the end by packaging number three with Anthony Simons and getting Dame Lillard some help that's more on his timeline? Or if the Blazers actually go through with drafting 19-year-old Scoot Henderson or 20-year-old Brandon Miller, if that's what the Blazers do, we'll see. We'll see then how Damian Lillard reacts and we won't have to make projections and reads this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next the amex dedicated card member entrance for the win Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, 
I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's move on now to the draft because Chris and I, we can talk all day about Bradley Beal, about Chris Paul, about Damian Lillard. We didn't even get to James Harden and Kyrie Irving. I'm sure we will soon. That's our sphere of expertise, but we need some help now with what's actually going to be going down Thursday night in Brooklyn at the draft. Neither one of us are super, super well-versed in the broad matters of the draft. I've said it a bazillion times over the last really two decades, I think covering the NBA draft to really do it well, you got to kind of make it your life. It's a year round job in itself. I loved throughout my ESPN years, 15 years at ESPN, Chad Ford handled every ounce of the draft and I could just kind of swoop in at the end for trades. And today I am very lucky and, uh, we are lucky because a good friend of mine, my Dallas neighbor, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board, which is actually a substack that Chad Ford started. Mr. Barlow has taken it over, has done a tremendous job with it. If you are an NBA draft Nick, I urge you to check out his substack because he's got it all going on there about all the candidates for the 58 draft slots Thursday night. Of course, we won't have 60 players taken. We'll only have 58 picks in this draft because of some uh, second rounders that have been docked for free agent misdeeds. But that's a story for another day. Tell us, man, Ralph, it's great to have you with us. I know you're already in New York. We can hear hear you. The background noise, you're right in the heart of the league's official draft hotel where it's all happening. Awesome to have you with us, man. Yeah, thank you guys for the opportunity. Been listening since day one, and I, I still laugh at the, the pizza and, and the dogs in the background. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad to be on. Thank you for having me on. We're going to try not to. I don't know. I can't promise, but we're going to try to have no in, no Chris Haynes instigated incidents in this pod. Hey, he might beat us today. The Where he's at, Scoot Henderson might pop up from behind him and, and yeah, cause a ruckus, man. Yeah, you know, if, if Scoot walks by, if if Wemby walks by, and you want, just want to pull him into the pod, you know, you have uh, you have license to do so. Let's let's start here. Obviously, I'm going to scoop you right now. Victor Wembanyama is going number one on Thursday night. That we know, that we all know, that we can promise. But it, is there? Do you see any chance that that someone else infiltrates two, three, and it wouldn't be? Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson in those two spots? No, I, th- I think they're. I think it's set now. Which order? Is, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you've heard that the Hornets like Brandon Miller, and then now you're starting to hear that they, they like Scoot. I, I did an interview with one of the, I guess, betting sites, and they said the odds are at Scoot now. I'm not a betting man, but that's what they're saying. But other than that, I think the top three are, are locks. Definitely with Wimbayama. I mean, I'm just in the lobby now, and I've seen plenty of guys wearing Victor Wimbayama Spurs jerseys. So, um, I, I guess they are, um, yeah, 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 they're ready for him to hit the Alamo City. But, like I said, I think one, two, three are locked. I just don't know the order for two and three. I mean, it's Charlotte. Obviously, we were told brought in Scoot Henderson and and Brandon Miller one more time 
to start this week off. What's your best forecast? As you know, this is going to drop on Tuesday, two days before the draft. What do you, what do you think Charlotte is really doing? Man, I think they're they're really undecided. I I personally think that Brandon Miller is the better fit, and they they may have some reservations about Scoot and Lamelo playing together. I think if they didn't, then it would be a, a no brainer. But right now, I, I think they're going to go with Brandon Miller. I think they're going to entertain. You know, trading the pick and see what they can get for it. But I think at the, on Tuesday night, I'm sorry, Thursday night, I think they're going to go with Brandon Miller. Uh, I know you can't, RB, I know you can't predict what's going to happen, what team are, are going to move in and swoop in. But as far as what you're hearing at the 2-3 slot, do you have any pulse on if those teams at 2-3, Charlotte and Portland, do you have any pulse on if they will keep that pick? I don't. I mean, I've heard the rumors. I had an agent tell me that he thinks that the Siakam to Portland rumors, he thinks they're real, whether or not they happen or not, but he thinks that they're, they're definitely kicking the tires there. And then we've all heard the rumors about the, the Hornets wanting Zion, and then I've heard Brandon Miller, I'm sorry, um, Brandon Negram. It's weird because just a few months ago they were talking about this is a great draft, and now we're in a situation where teams two, three, four, maybe even five would be willing to trade out of the pick. So, um, but no, I don't have a pulse just, just hearing like the, the rumors that, that they are open to, to possibly moving the picks. How deep is this draft RB? You, you talked, you talked about that. Like how, if obviously anything can happen, guys develop and guys blossom and come into, you know, become something that we didn't intend on, but just right now, early on, like, how deep is this draft? You know, Indiana Pacers, they're trying to move their pick at number seven as well. So, like, how, how many stars right now do you see? I'm not going to hold you to it later on, yeah. but it's just right now. I, I think it's more so deep in complimentary guys. I mean, even, like, the worst teams, whether it's Houston, whether it's Detroit, they have their, their guys already. So I think the draft is deep in finding, like, complimentary pieces that complement the, the stars that they have in place. I think as far as stars, I, I'd say, I mean, historically, one, picks one, two, and three don't all make the all-star team. I, I think 2016 was a rare year with, with Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram and, and Jalen Brown. I'd say maybe four all-stars in this class, just – just being realistic, but you, you just never know. I remember 2020, we thought that was a weak class, and I think we overanalyzed it because of COVID and how long the process was, but if you look at 2020 with LaMelo and Anthony Edwards and, and Halliburton and, and Tyrese Maxey, that was considered to be a weak class, and it turned out to be one of the better classes over the past few years, so it's kind of hard to predict how good this class will be, but I would say four all-stars. I think since last week, you've had Bilal Koulibaly, who is, we've seen him as Webinyama's teammate in the French League. You've had him going number nine to Utah since last week, higher than most people have projected him. What what are you seeing out of Wemby's teammate? And I mean, Utah is a really tough team to try to pinpoint what they're going to do because Danny Ainge loves to confuse us all. What's kind of led you to rate him so highly? Actually, I just talked to someone that was that's pretty connected to the situation, and I jokingly say, "Yeah, I got him going nine. And they said, "Oh, 
he might be going higher than that. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see what, what happens. But I just think the trajectory. I first saw him play 18 months ago, in in Paris. And I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I didn't go to Paris to watch Bilal Koulibaly play. I went to go watch Victor play, and um, and it just so happened Victor's team, because he played for Asvel last year. They were playing um, the the Metropolitan's 92, and they have like a under eight, under 21 league. And I went to that game. And nobody heard of Bilal. I sat there with Mike Schmitz from ESPN, and we had to go online just to find his name. And I thought, you know, he had some physical tools that he could be an NBA prospect. But in my mind, I'm thinking 2025 draft, 2024 at the earliest. And I even went to watch him in September this year. And I went to watch him at the under-21 game, and he showed some flashes. He had a really good game. And I thought, okay, yeah, this this, this guy is going to be a first-round pick in 2024. And I don't think people remember that when they had the Wimby Scoot Showcase in Vegas back in October, he got in that game. Like, people don't remember. He was like a fish out of water. But he's just got better and better and better. He had some injuries that opened up playing time. And then he was trending in the right direction at the right time. During the, the Metropolitan's playoff run, he just, I mean, just turned into a different player with his athleticism and his just ability to impact games without dominating the ball. So I think based off of like how he's developed over the last 18 months there is some recency bias but he measures well he's athletic and so i think that is the reason why he's basically going to in my opinion change the the lottery he could be one of the guys that that goes anywhere from maybe six to ten which is something that we would have never talked about maybe two months ago maybe even six weeks ago rb that that individual might be the answer for my question that I have coming up, but I want to ask you, look, at, look into your crystal ball, who would you think would be the steal of this draft? If you had two candidates to pick from, when we're talking about this five years later, who, which, which guys you think has the potential to be the steals of this draft? I'd say one is Bilal, Bilal Koulibaly, obviously. Um, he, he has the exposure just because he's played with Wimbayama. I would, I would say Gigi Jackson. Gigi is interesting because he was the number one player in his high school class. He reclassified up. And you can make a case and say it, it could have been a mistake because 2024 class is considered to be weak. If he stays in his normal draft class, then he could have been at you know a top five pick. There are some concerns about maturity. I mean, he, he's an 18-year-old kid that started the season off at 17. I think that just as far as just talent-wise, I think he's a top – 10 talent in this draft but I think honestly that reclassifying up hurt him as far as like the maturity and developmental stage I think basically he skipped the step but I think that a team probably selects him late in the first round and if he develops I think he could end up being like the guy that GMs five years later are like man we saw the talent we just were scared to to take that risk so those those are my two Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board, our special guest here on This League Uncut, helping us preview Thursday's NBA draft because he has studied all of these guys. That's his full-time gig. I noticed on your latest mock draft that came out Monday, you had Taylor Hendricks at number 12 going to the Thunder. Has he slipped some? Has he, you know, has he... has, has 
Is he falling out of the top 10? Is that kind of the chatter and buzz that you've been hearing? No, not necessarily. Well, I say that if he is, it's not because he's done anything to fall. I just think that Bilal has moved up and has bumped somebody down. And then I think Derek Lively, who I've been high on for the last few months, I think that Lively has really turned the corner and had some really good workouts. 7-1, he's up to 235 now, and he didn't shoot the ball really at all at Duke, only averaged five points per game, but just was dominant defensively in the second half of the year. And then he had a pro day where he knocked down 14 threes in a row. He showed some flashes of being able to knock down open shots at the prep levels, but I think in, in some of the pro days and in, in the individual workouts, he's shown that the touch is real. And so I think some teams may see him as a guy that's ready to come in and contribute right away on the glass from the defensive end and then could be like this versatile rim protector, vertical lob threat slash pick and pop threat down the line. So I think Lively is moving up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because, again, as I've noted many times about myself, I don't do a lot of draft coverage, but I did have a Derek Lively note in my Monday notebook because more than one team I've – I guess because I'm based in Dallas and I've covered the Mavericks for so long, these teams felt like they wanted to share this with me. But I've been hearing all these Tyson Chandler comparisons, and he's Tyson 2.0. I mean, how how realistic do you think it is that he could live up to that? You know what? Honestly, that was my prediction coming into the season. I thought he, first of all, physically he kind of looks like, like Tyson as far as just like the dimensions. And then if you remember, Tyson was like a great offensive player in, in high school. But then he just kind of settled into this role in the NBA as, you know, your lob threat. And I felt like I wouldn't be surprised if Lively just kind of settles into this this role as, as just a, a vertical lob threat, a, a guy that plays at the dunker spot. But there are similarities there. And I think that it's, it's fair. It's fair, especially if you live in Dallas. And, of course, people in Dallas are always going to remember Tyson from being on the championship team. But um, I do think that the buzz would, would lively to Dallas. I think it is legit. I think it's real legit. RB, can you take us behind the scenes with you being there in New York, you being there with um, with all the draft um, prospects, the top guys, agents, executives? How will your board in the next two days leading up to the draft, how will your board change? Will, will, will it be dramatic changing from now to then? And like, what, what do you hear in the next two days that would initiate you moving guys up or down? Can you walk us through like what these next two days are like for you? Yeah. I mean, this is my first, my first time being in New York at the draft. And of course, you know, when you hear things, you got to take it with a figure where, it, where it's coming from. Um, the agents are probably going to tell me that their guy is moving up and and so on. I mean, right now, I, I think my board is is solid. I mean, as I'm saying, this now, I see the Thompson twins. They just they just pulled up, <laughs> just pulled up behind me. But no, I think my board is solid. But I, I do think it can change if some trades are made. So I think, like, for example, if Detroit moves up to two. I'm just throwing something out there. I don't think they're going to select Scoot. I think they're going for, for Brandon Miller just because it just makes the most sense there. But I think it's, I mean, it's pretty solid. I mean, it, it can be fluid here and there, especially after the lottery, but I think the lottery is pretty solid. Among the Thompson twins, how much competition is there amongst the two of them, you think? Well, it, it's funny because like on 
draft Twitter and on mock boards, you, you hear that Amin is higher. But just from teams that I've talked to, they don't really see that much of a difference. Asord is not the one that gets all the attention, but he is the two-time MVP of the Overtime Elite League. He's the better shooter of the two, not by much. I mean, they both have their, their issue shooting, but he's the better shooter. And some feel like he's the better defender. And even if you look at their passing stats, even though one played more so on the ball than another off the ball, the difference between their assist numbers is like 6.1 to 6.2. But Amin is like a phenomenal athlete. He may be the best athlete in the NBA next season. And so I think that's why some think that he has the higher the higher upside. But honestly, I, I do not think that there's much of a difference. And I also think that Asur, his best position is as a primary ball handler too. All right, well, we've talked about almost everybody in the top – in, well, maybe not almost everybody. We t- we've talked about several lottery names here without getting into Wemby. We saved him for last. You've obviously seen him many more times in person than Chris or I. How would you grade his NBA readiness today? And what do you what do you think we'll see in Summer League? Because it sounds like I spoke to someone who kind of had a feel for San Antonio's expectations and they were hopeful that he's going to play some portion of summer league, probably the Vegas portion rather than Sacramento. And then I think we've all seen the clip of him talking after his last game in the French finals, where he was asked if he plans to play summer league. And he said a little bit, just, I guess, paint, paint your picture of what you've seen from Wembenyama to this point and what we're going to see here in, in a couple weeks in Vegas. A funny story, my first time seeing Wimbayama was actually on my wedding night. So I got married in Paris, and uh, me and my wife got married at the Eiffel Tower. So we had to do it at like 6 o'clock in the morning to make sure there was nobody in our in our photo shots. And the game was at 9 o'clock. So I'm like, hey, you know, there's a game at later on tonight at 9 p.m. You you, you want to go check this Wimbayama kid out? And I mean, I, I, I knew my wife would say yes. And so oh, I went you got, to the game. You got a rider. You got, yeah, you got a keeper for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was what, year, what year? How long ago was that? This was 2021. So this was this was last season. And so, um, yeah, we went to the game. And, of course, he picks up two fouls in, like, the first four minutes. And, you know, she was enjoying the experience because it was her first time in Paris and so on. But it wasn't until the, the showcase game against Scoot in October where she thought, like, oh, you're a year ahead. Like you're you, you're really good at this. And so I mean, everybody knew that that he was special. But for my wife, she can tell her friends that I saw Wimbayama like two years before he made it to the NBA. But anyway, I've seen him play. I want to say five times now, and the jump that he made from last year to this year is is has been incredible. It's I wouldn't say it's the Luka Doncic jump that he made from 17 season to 18 season, but it's it's pretty close. Doncic's competition was a lot tougher, but I think Wimbayama is is ready on the defensive end as far as his impact. He's definitely going to struggle with physicality early on, but I think that he's going to even be better in the NBA because the spacing is better, the game is longer. Um, of course, he's going to end up getting superstar calls, so it can add another two to three points to his points per game. But I, I think he's ready. Um, it's just unfair the expectations are so high. We've never seen the league put a guy on the NBA app before he's played a game. And he I, seems to want it though, does he? He seems to want the hype and the and the I, attention. I don't know because I've I've heard that 
he's had every endorsement opportunity in the world, and he hasn't signed any of them. Like, I've heard that he's had so many opportunities to be a pitch man, and he has just no plans to, to really pitch products or anything like that. He just wants to play. But I think that um, – I don't know. I think it's a combination of him – wanting to be out there but also do it in, in small steps and but no, I just think he's 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 ready like I said the expectations are ridiculous but I think he's ready to come in and contribute right away I mean they played Monaco in the French League finals and obviously Monaco a Euro League team a successful Euro League team and ton I mean what do they have seven former NBA players you had a feeling that the physicality in that series would be an issue. What did you see in that series? Any reason for concern or, I mean, look, I think the European game, you can be more physical than you're going to be able to in the NBA. So, you know, no, I wasn't reason for concern. I mean, you're talking about the, the Metropolitan's 92 team that you could say two of their three best players were a 19 year old and an 18 year old. Right. And, and the Monaco team that's Mike James, who's a legend in Europe. I think he's like Europe's, I think he's one of the all-time leading scorers for American players. Monte Yunus is on that team. I mean, Dante Monica Hall, team. Jordan Lloyd, and then, you know, yeah. and I know I'm leaving a Blossom game. I mean, they got a lot of ex-NBA guys on that team. Yeah. So, um, no, I, there's there's definitely no reasons to be concerned. And then, you know, the Metropolitans had some injuries, so they're not even playing with the. I mean, they, they've had some late additions, so. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. I just think that it's amazing that you, you got a team that went that far being led by teenagers. No, that's fair point. Makes sense. And listen, I'm so glad. I know you're swamped out there in New York and you're right in the heart of the draft beast. I'm really glad that we found a way to track you down, connect, bring you on here to help us Appreciate sound a little it, smarter about the draft. Appreciate it, brother. Rafael Barlow, again, folks, director of scouting for NBA Big Board, a wonderful substack that this time of year, especially, I consult daily to try to get a better handle on what we're going to be seeing Thursday night. And I urge you to check it out. And also, he has a podcast, an NBA Big Board podcast, where he's covering this material all the time. Five pods a week, Ooh, making yeah. us... Man. Making us, man. Make, <laughs> man. We, 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 gotta, we yeah. might have to step it up. Oh, no. Nah, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> not like that. <laughs> More power yeah, five, to you, RB. Five we got to record one right after this. Oh, so man. It's, I, I enjoy it, though. Thank you for squeezing us in. Have a great time all week out there in New York. And uh, really enjoy Thursday night. It should be a special It's going to be it, – I think it's going to be a really interesting evening because, obviously, number one, we know what's going to happen. But – I feel like from from two on, we 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 could have some some surprises, some trades, some action. So it should be it should be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. Like I said, I followed you guys for years, and so it's 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 actually cool for me to to be on a podcast with with you guys. So thank you again. Well, we will do it again sometime for sure. For sure. All right, everyone, that does it for this edition of this league. Uncut. Remember, please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Chris and I will be back with you later this week after, again, we can't say exactly what it's going to be, but yes, I am betting on more trade transactional action. Stay tuned, and we'll talk soon. Yeah.
that'll do it for us. See you next time. This League Uncut is an iHeartRadio production. Boom shakalaka! Chris Haynes and Mark Stein! I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.